Today on Creation Talk, where did the Bible come from and is it the Word of God? Hi, today I'm here with our New Testament specialist, Lita Kosner. Hi, Lita. Hi, Gary. And uh, this is one that's not just only a debate you know, from non-Christians and skeptics, but even within Christian circles about the various manuscripts and so on. We're going to deal with that a little bit more in depth in another session because this is something we're not going to cover in today's podcast. So we're just going to deal with the first subject, which is where did the Bible come from? A lot of people think, well, it's just a religious book. You know, there are lots of religious books in the world. You can think about all the great religions of the world and they tell people how to live you know, uh, what they should do with their lives, whether there's an afterlife or not, how to get there. And certainly the Bible does that to some extent. But I think the Bible is quite unique because it also purports to be a history book. And obviously something our ministry specializes in is the creation account, how the world and the universe came to be. That is certainly a history book. Um, But the skeptic's main argument uh, in this area, Lita, is that the Bible is just a book written by men. And of course, it's been copied and copied and copied and copied. uh, And we know it was copied by people called scribes. Tell us, who were the scribes? What do we know about them? Human photocopiers, right? (laughs) Well, we know that the scribes who were copying these manuscripts, they believed this to be the Word of God. Mm. And so obviously, if you're copying something you believe to be the Word of God, you're going to be very careful with it. You're going to have measures in place to keep the copies accurate. One particular group of copyists called the Masoretes, they developed Mm -hmm. elaborate traditions around copying to make sure that each line had exactly the amount of letters that were supposed to be there. And so we know that their copies were very, very accurate. So with all of our articles that appear in Creation Magazine or the Journal of Creation or on creation.com, I mean, you've written stuff and I proofread it and I write stuff and you proofread it and we do that with each other. Uh, Of course, we don't believe what we're writing is the Word of God. So in in these cases, obviously, they're going to have a lot of checks and balances, aren't they? You know, it's not just some guy writing and saying, well, here it is, I've finished. There's going to be a checking procedure, surely. Yes. Okay. So we can believe or understand they believe they were handling the Word of God. They would have treated it with that respect. Now, in our next session, we're going to talk about, you know, what errors maybe were introduced. But let's talk about inspiration, because one of the critics' uh, arguments is that, well, you guys believe the Bible because the Bible says it's the Word of God. They believe it's a circular argument. Of course, 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is breathed out or inspired right, by God. But isn't it more than that? You know, you and I have discussed this. We've co-written a booklet, by the way, if you're interested, called How Did We Get Our Bible and Is It the Word of God? And some of these arguments in there. And we talked about inspiration. So inspiration, let me just qualify that before I ask you. Inspiration is that God's spirit is moving men to write. Is that how we understand it? Yeah. And it's it's a very unique sort of idea because we believe that the Holy Spirit used these men. And so it's actually what they wrote. He's using their minds, their experiences, their vocabularies, their personalities. But he's superintending the process. He's 
overshadowing these men so that what they produce is entirely without error and it is actually the word of God. So it is their thoughts in a way, the way that they would write, yes, but uh, still conveying in, in a sense what God wanted them to, to write and explain. Yes, and looking at the original languages, anyone who can look at the original Greek or the original Hebrew, there's a very marked difference in style between Luke and the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul. They have very different ways of using vocabulary and grammar, and you can tell just from reading them that they're different people. Yeah, you certainly can. In fact, some of the Gospels that were under dispute, they look for markers to try to find out who they're written by, right? So the other thing to point out is we're not saying, you know, my ESV translation today is inspired, correct? Correct. The, when we talk about inspiration, we're talking about the original documents. So what Moses originally wrote is inspired by God and errors m may have crept in over time and that there's a different there's a different way for us to tell that what we have is what Moses originally wrote. But when we're talking inspiration, we're technically only talking about the originals, which are also sometimes called the autographs. Right. So in the next session, we're going to talk about some of the manuscript families and how we can actually tell that uh, the meaning of God's word has not changed over time. So hang in there for that one, folks. We're not ignoring it. We will get there. Now, the types of inspiration. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, God is moving men to write. It's not a form of dictation. I mean, in some mm -hmm. cases, we see God speaking to men and they yes. faithfully recorded that. Yes. But when the men are recounting history or events in their lifetimes, it's not a strict form of dictation, right? Yes. So sometimes we do see the Bible saying, Yahweh says, the Lord says. Mm -hmm. And so that is dictation. And we see, for instance, where God tells Jeremiah, write this down and deliver it to the king. Yeah. So we do see some instances of dictation, but more often it's a little bit more indirect than that. For instance, we can see when David says, oh, Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's not like God is saying, okay, David, write this down. Mm. Oh, Lord, my Lord. He, David is speaking out of the overflow of his own yeah. heart, expressing worship to God, and the Holy Spirit is ensuring that David's expression is theologically accurate. And in the New Testament, you see that Luke, he was a very good historian, and he was doing research. He was, look, he was tracking down sources and eyewitnesses. And so the Holy Spirit was working in that process of research and good historiography, ensuring that the product was inerrant. So, okay, Lita, so you mentioned one thing there. A lot of people have written out of the fullness or the overflow of their heart about God and their relationship with him. That would have been no different, you know, in ancient times as it is today when people write. So who decided, right? I mean, I know I'm asking you the question, but who decided, how did we, how did the, the uh, the Bible come to be in terms of the collection of the 66 books? Was it, um, you know, God says choose these books? Uh, was it some sort of lottery? How did we get the 66 books today that form the canon of Scripture? Because that's a big one because, uh, you know, in the Catholic uh, Church, for example, they have extra books that we don't have in the Evangelical Correct. Church. So how did the canon of Scripture come to be? 
It's a bit of a different um, argument for the Old Testament versus the New Testament. When when we're talking about the Old Testament canon, these are the books that ancient Jews recognized to be Scripture. And by the time of Jesus, you have basically two people, two different groups that have two different canons of Scripture. The Pharisees had basically our Old Testament canon, mm-hmm. and then the Sadducees said only the Torah, only the five books written by Moses are scripture. The ones that didn't believe in the resurrection, right? Exactly. So it was already settled by the time of the New Testament, in other words. Yes, and Jesus accepted basically the Pharisees' Mm. canon of scripture. Yeah. So, and as Christians, obviously we follow Christ. We believe Mm. that he had the correct um, Old Testament canon because, of course, he inspired it. Well, he believed in it, so should we. Yes. So New Testament. So there are lots of, uh, you know, wider books uh, we see around the New Testament times. Who determined... Which books form the New Testament? Well, in the very early years, of course, the church is being persecuted. These texts are forbidden. Having Christian texts in your homes could actually get you killed. It was actually illegal to be a Christian. And so it was illegal to have New Testament Mm. texts. So it was obviously very important for the early Christians to know which texts were Scripture and which were not because you could die for having these texts. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to be uh, murdered on the basis of having a wrong manuscript, right? <laughs> exactly. And so by the time of the Council of Nicaea, which is in the 300s AD, we see that they had a well-developed developed canon, which is the same as our canon today. And they had a couple of they had a couple of ways to determine whether a book should be in the canon. The first is, was it written by an apostle of Jesus or one of their close associates? Mm-hmm. So somebody like the Apostle John or close associate like like Luke mm. or John Mark. Yeah. The second was the books had to be accepted by the whole church. Mm. You couldn't have a book that Alexandria really liked, but Rome rejected. Gotcha. The third thing is it couldn't contradict any other scripture. And so if you had something that said, oh, Jesus seemed like God, but he was really just a man, that would be Mm. rejected because it contradicts the rest of scripture. Well, it contradicts true scripture. And so that book would be rejected. So how do we know the Bible's inspired? Matthew 5, 17, 18, uh, obviously famous verse everyone knows, not an iota, not a dot will pass from all the law until it is or until all is accomplished and then of course in John 10:35 scripture cannot be broken so scripture is treating itself like scripture clearly right right, right. and even more than that Jesus said both of those things mm. and so we get our doctrine of inspiration of scripture from Jesus we don't have to prove it because we have an infallible source that tells us it is. Right. Great criteria to start with is to accept that Jesus, who he says he is, yes, that he is God in the flesh, and then, of course, what he says about Scripture ultimately goes. I mean, that's a very important thing. He believed in a literal creation account. He believed in a literal Adam and Eve, a literal flood. You and I have written that uh, we shouldn't reinterpret those areas because Jesus clearly believed what he was reading as well. Yes, and he believed that Scripture was preserved well enough that he based a whole argument in Matthew 22 when he's arguing with his opponents. He 
he bases his whole argument on the tense of one word, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that's how he proves to the Sadducees that there is a resurrection because God is God of the living, not of the dead. We can get into the area of prophecy and uh, a contentious area because people have different views on different scriptures. But there are some pretty straightforward ones. And, uh, you know, people will argue some prophecy has not been fulfilled, which has. But there's a couple of cast iron ones we can look at in the Old Testament. As a creationist, one of my favorites is Job 26, 7, where he says, talking about God, he stretches out the north over the void and he hangs the earth on nothing. I mean, should we take something like that literally? You know, people would say, well, you know, Job wasn't a scientist. He couldn't have known that the earth was a sphere hanging in space. But I actually believe, even if he didn't understand that, that he was faithfully recording what God indicated to him. There's a similar passage in Isaiah 40, 22. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are, are like grasshoppers. The word circle in English is actually the Hebrew word. We might transliterate it kug, which we could describe as a vaulted object, even as a sphere or something that has dimensions and is solid. It's not flat and a circle like this table. Now, when we look at some of the prophecies about Jesus in particular, uh, that's where it gets pretty exciting, doesn't it? We have the prophecy regarding the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, his own crucifixion, before crucifixion was even invented. Now, I know you love history, but what about Daniel 2? I mean, there's a whole litany of areas there that we saw fulfilled. Do you want to explain that? Well, that's the passage, of course, where Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him and interprets the dream. And it's the famous passage of the statue with the feet of iron and clay. He accurately predicts the the four great kingdoms. And there's no way that Daniel could have known naturally the socio-political climate that would make each of these kingdoms arise. Well, they rise and fall pretty quickly in history yes. as conquering armies come in and invade. And some of the armies or the kingdoms that he referred to didn't even exist yet. Exactly, yes. Yeah. You know, in uh, in our little Bible, another plug there once again, our little uh, Bible booklet. Yeah, don't call it our little Bible. It's not inspired. <laughs> Thank you, Lita, uh, even though you wrote it. Okay, well, we did write in there, in calculating uh, the estimates of just one man, listen to this, fulfilling just eight prophecies. Okay, let's think about Old Testament prophecies. The charts would be one in 10 to the 28th power. If you want an analogy... It would be the same as a blindfolded person picking the right silver dollar, think 50 cent piece if you're in Australia, out of enough silver dollars to cover the state of Texas two feet deep. That's just eight prophecies to get them all right. I mean, they are unfathomable odds. And yet we see that consistency, don't we, through Scripture. Scripture's written over a couple of thousand years, right? Yes. And written in different countries by different men. And we're going to discover, discuss next time, there are no contradictions. I mean, just that alone, what would be the chances of every person in a different time, in a different country, writing uh, in, in their own sphere of influence, and yet we see the nature of God, his purposes for the gospel being played out continually in all of these different locations. Yes, it just shows us that the Bible is really one book with one ultimate author. Exactly.
We're going to have a part two on this, and we're going to talk more about alleged errors in the Bible and alleged contradictions and how we can be sure, in fact, that the Bible hasn't changed over long periods of time. So once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you, Lita. And uh, don't forget to share this information with your friends. Uh, you've probably had these questions yourself. Click the like button and also make sure you subscribe to receive notifications when new podcasts uh, become available. Thank you for listening and for watching. Bye.